Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. back to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good evening, Mr. Halitech. How are you, sir? It is uh, an interesting day in football, and uh, we're, we're 18 days away from the Bears opener and just 15 days away from uh, the actual NFL opener when, when Kansas City uh, takes the field. Um, a lot of crazy things happened this week. And uh, we are joined by Sports Mockery's Bears insider Eric Lambert to kind of navigate us through what's been going on over the last few days and in actually the last few hours. So, Eric, welcome aboard. Thanks again for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy. What we're going to talk about a few things today. Of course, we have to start with the uh, the bombshell that happened. Um, in up in Lake Forest earlier today when uh, star running back David Montgomery went down and of course Bears Twitter went crazy right away and <laughs> and uh, gloom and gloom and doom and, and everything else and and uh, we had some false positives that affected several teams uh, over the weekend the the wide receiver competition you wrote an interesting article about the uh, who might be the surprising odd man out. Uh, there's been some uh, interesting things going on with the Green Bay. Uh, there's there's uh, no love in Green Bay apparently, and we'll <laughs> we'll get to we'll get to that uh, in, in a little bit. But uh, uh, and then of course, uh, ever since camp opened and balls started being thrown around, the the tight ends have been the stars of camp. And uh, and then over the last uh, few couple of days, when the defense was allowed to go 11 on 11, uh, it's been a big story up there as well. So, uh, so Eric, uh, this morning, uh, news broke that David Montgomery went down. Videos started to surface of the actual injury as it took place, and uh, there was speculation rampant that it was an Achilles. Or it was an ACL, and you see none of that in the video. His legs slipped. He 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 strained a groin. Um, it, it can be serious, as we talked about before we started recording. But uh, it's at least it's uh, out of out of those things we just talked about. That's the the lesser of all evils. Oh, without question. You know, you'd take a strained groin any day over an ACL and Achilles because. You know, David Montgomery is a key part of their offense. Everybody knows that they have depth concerns. 
at running back, and he was going to be their featured guy. So for him to go down so close to the regular season, it's like, are you kidding me? Really? The timing is just awful. So to know that it wasn't as bad as it could have been was a big sigh of relief, but also knowing that they might end up losing him for a couple of games, depending on severity is another problem. Now, Montgomery's a tough dude. You know, he's one of those guys who's probably willing and able to play through pain. So if it's like 80% for him, I expect him to go. He's that type of guy. But then again, Matt Nagy's the sort of coach who likes to play a cautious with injuries. So he might just shut Montgomery down if it is that bad. And, you know, either way, I do expect the Bears are probably going to make a move of some sort in the coming days, just as a precaution in case they need some extra insurance, depending on uh, what diagnosis they do get. You were, um, we were talking about this right before we went on recording and uh, what I was going to say. And we said, we decided to save it for the show because it's good stuff. (laughs) Uh, You know, right before we went on air, uh, former, former Bears scout, Greg uh, Gabriel was having a very animated conversation with some dude uh, on Bears Twitter, and uh, he kind of had a different opinion uh, than than you do right now, Eric. In that he he would think that it's going to be more of a, a waiting game at least for now, and uh, I think the Bears might. He thought that the Bears, if they do anything at all, they might wait to, to as more as roster cuts start to come around uh, to see if there's anything. Uh, or anybody of, of value uh, that they can that they can pick up if they have to pick up. But uh, there's counting Cordero Patterson. There were five running backs. There are five running backs on the roster, and and the first thought was running back by committee until Montgomery's healthy again. Well, you know Gabriel's been around the game for a long time, and you know he he does have a point. If you look at the landscape of the free agent running backs right now, it's not exactly appealing. I mean, you got Devontae Freeman. At one point, he was a really good football player, but he's had injury issues. He's getting on the older side, so you start to wonder, you know, is that investment worth it? Because from the rumors people have heard, he's demanding a pretty uh, sizable sum of money, which is why he hasn't been signed yet. You got Jeremy Hill. The Bears did try out CJ Pro sites, and, you know, these guys do have some value, but you'd prefer to find somebody, you know, you can really get behind as a possible replacement for Montgomery, even if it is short term. Now, if the bears were to wait until roster cuts, the, the odds of them actually getting somebody decent do go up because there are a lot of teams out there that are actually pretty loaded at running back. So there is a chance that they do end up cutting somebody worthwhile. I do believe that's going to happen. And Ryan Pace has actually been pretty good in years past at, you know, working the waiver wire and finding decent talent. So, you know, that would not surprise me if the Bears decided to wait and, you know, see where Montgomery is and then just, you know, find somebody towards, you know, a little closer to the season because running backs don't need as much scheme catch up. It's just, you know, run here, run there. It's a little easier for them to adapt to a system than, say, a quarterback or a wide receiver or things of that nature. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the only uh, guy on the list um, that I think might have a chance to get picked up prior to, to these cut downs is Spencer Ware, just because of his uh, time in Kansas City, um, you know, familiarity with some 
some of the offense, um, you know, just because I think the whatever back is in there, pass protection is obviously going to be a huge component of it. So um, what I what I have to say, I definitely agree with probably with Gabriel that they aren't going to make a move right away. Uh, the, I don't even want to call it a silver lining, but the other aspect to this is that without Montgomery, it does mean more reps for Artavis Pierce, who I know they like a lot um, and has from, you know, little snippets I've, I've picked up here and there has looked pretty good at camp so far. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, I know it's very limited, but he's been on a couple of their highlight reels and I've read a couple of little things that he's looking pretty good. And then they, you know, they're trying to work Corderell into that part of the offense. So I don't think that in terms of what's going to happen at training camp, it's going to hurt the team, but it is going to hurt Montgomery. You know, expanding his usage in the passing game is something that I'm sure they had to be focusing on, and this cannot help that at all. But, of course, I was, you know, happy that, that it was just a groin. Um, I have to say I'm pretty reticent to start having conversations about groins ever again after the Trey Burton situation. Um, so that, that does, you know, kind of give you pause. It's like, oh, are we going to be talking about groins like all year again? Um, certainly don't want to do that in any way, shape, or form. So definitely a strange, uh, strange, you know, occurrence and sort of the way it unfolded and, you know, how these training camp injuries unfold in real time and, I mean, it's just just bizarre. Um, but I guess that the, you know it's it's going to happen. You've seen it happening uh, with you know Grant Delpit, you know, and uh, the the Giants have been destroyed by injury. So it's that time of year. You just kind of pray that uh, that the Bears are spared from it. You know, today, well, you know, uh, go ahead, Eric. Uh, sorry, uh, I was just going to mention Artavis Pierce. The Bears have shown that they clearly like him a lot. You know, there's a reason they cut Napoleon Maxwell so early in the process. That told me that they, you know, really like what they've seen from Pierce. And I'm the same as you. I've heard good things about him in little snippets out of training camp. And I actually, I wanted to point this out. I just saw a really interesting comparison somebody made of him. It was, uh, they see him as sort of uh, another Willie Parker, the former Pittsburgh Steelers running back. He's of that ilk and of that talent Mm. level, which I thought was pretty interesting because if he could get to that, then the Bears might actually have something there. So that's something to keep an eye on. He's got some exciting tape from Oregon State. I mean, you know, it. it, it he kind of he does jump off the screen. Um, so I, I, I have high hopes for him. I mean, he looks really good. He could be, you know, uh, maybe another uh, uh, plus column addition for Pace. Yes, I, I agree. I think he can, you know. It, it all depends on whether or not he gets opportunities. That's the thing about running backs or pretty much any young player. You don't really know what he's going to be until you see him on the field. And this is where you kind of miss the preseason. You would have liked to see him in some game action, you know, see if he does have something. Cause all, all we have to go on right now are what people are seeing in practice. And that's kind of frustrating. Yeah. They were talking run scheme with Cody white here a little bit. Um, and I was hoping somebody would ask him question that would lead down the road of, of scheme change. He didn't really take the bait. A couple people tried. Tariq kind of <laughs> took the bait, though, a little bit and talked to, you know, about him really thinking that the run game looks extremely improved. And obviously this was before Montgomery went down. He talked, 
you know, a little bit about maybe running less out of the shotgun and just, I mean, he really seemed to signal that there has been a strong shift in the scheme, which is very encouraging. Um, whether they'll be able to execute it, I don't know, but it can't be worse. So, <laughs> I mean, I, whatever they're going to try, I hope, I, I hope it's different. Um, but yeah, again, it, it really could not be worse. So I think we're in store for at least a different looking running game. We can only hope it was putrid last year. That's for sure. And of course uh, it all starts with the guys up front and there's been some talk at least before they got into 11 on 11s where we'll talk about later, but um, there's been some talk about how the, the running game has been steadily improving over camp uh, what are your thoughts on that, Eric? You know, it, it sounds like they've really established a new mentality, and that's because of Juan Castillo. I mean, the things coming in that he preached were two things primarily. Fundamentals, be constant on the fundamentals, and be physical. They want to be the aggressors. They want to be the guys that get out there and get after it. And he's established that mentality from day one. He's been active. He's been energetic, you know, befitting the personality he's had for so many years. And he's had a ton of success at it. You know, he, he worked under Andy Reid. And, you know, the, the Eagles, back when they worked together, weren't known for having, you know, the most productive running games in the league, but that's because they weren't trying to be that way. They wanted to be sort of a quarterback driven team. But if you looked at it, they were almost constantly top 10 in yards per carry. And so they were productive running the football when they wanted to run the football. And I think that's what Matt Nagy is trying to aim for. He still wants to try and gear the offense around the quarterback, but when the bears want to run, they want to be able to run when they want to, not when they have to, and that sort of thing. So that's sort of what Juan Castillo can do for you. And it sounds like they're having some, you know, good progress so far that, you know, they've got some, a little more power up front with Jermaine Effetti. I've heard he's, you know, making some good progress there. They've got good power size up front, and it sounds like James Daniels has put on weight and muscle, and he's looking, you know, pretty hulked up a little bit. So it sounds like, you know, they're anxious to get into this year and sort of rectify what happened last season. Yeah, last season, and we've talked about this often uh, here on the Halitech Hall Show, uh, the, the Bears were – one of the worst teams in, in terms of missed blocks, almost to the tune of 10 per game. That's got to get better in 2020 if the Bears are going to move up the ranks in uh, the offensive statistics. Um, earlier, or late last week, the, uh, the NFL was hit kind of hard with, uh, with some false positives uh, it affected several teams. It, it affected, of course, the Bears. There were, what, seven seven or eight Bears players. Uh, the teams that were affected by the false positives from the uh, uh, New Jersey facility were the, the Bears, the Cleveland Browns, Buffalo Bills, the New York Jets, the Steelers, the Vikings, the Packers, the Patriots, and the Lions. So all four teams in the NFC North were affected by this, and thank goodness they all turned out to be false positives. Uh, the, the NFL has done a, an amazing job with the fact that they've got, you know, if you take a look at 90 players or 80 players on, on the roster, uh, you're, you're looking at uh, all, over 3,000 players and staff members on 32 teams, 
And as of this morning, there were only three players on their their COVID list, uh, where we don't know if they tested false, if they tested positive, or if they came in contact with somebody who was positive and they're being quarantined. That's a hell of a job, a hell of a job. And uh, you know, I almost I posed the question when this first came out. Um, was this a test? It, and it hasn't come out. I, I was thinking for sure that by now we were going to hear something to the effect that this was a test. The false, the false positives came out on purpose to allow these emergency protocols that teams have to see how well they would do. And of course, every, every, every false positive was erased in a matter of hours. You know, you know, I wouldn't put it past the league for something like that because it does make sense. You, you do want to put these procedures to the test because the last thing you want is to have something like this happen during the regular season when it could, you know, throw everything into absolute mayhem. So it does sound like, you know, something they might just implement on the slide just to see, see how teams react, see, see if they follow the protocols properly. But, you know, even if even if it was just an accident, the timing of it was actually pretty beneficial to the league because it gives them a, a nice little dry run to see if they can work out the kinks and how, how this thing was handled. But it sounds like it was actually handled really well. You know, the team shut things down. They went through all the testing procedures. They made sure everything was kosher before starting up practices again. And, you know, there were no problems. So you, you just love to see that. I thought the Bears handled it really well. You know, they turned everybody away. They made sure to implement all the procedures they worked so hard to, you know, install and everything went well. And absolutely, thank God it was all false positives. But, you know, in the event that something does happen, it looks like the Bears will be prepared for it. And that's exactly what the NFL and everyone else wants to see. Aaron, you uh, retweeted something just a little while ago, uh, which could have huge ramifications in a positive way we, in terms of COVID testing for not, not only the NFL, but for everybody. Uh, uh, and I think it was first, I first saw it on uh, the rap sheet, Ian Rappaport, breaking news that, that Abbott Labs now has introduced a, a test. It only costs five bucks to administer or to purchase. Uh, you get your results in 15 minutes without lab equipment uh, and that could obviously save hours, if not days, of, uh, of, of, of these false positives going forward. So uh, I, I know that the, uh, the league would be excited about it. Of course, they've got to get it out to the public first. But this could be huge going forward. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously I, I hope that if that was a fire drill that they wouldn't be waking up Nagy at 3 a.m. Because if I was Nagy and I found out that was a league fire drill, I would be salty about that. Let me tell you what, because <laughs> uh, I think they can do a fire drill without doing it that hardcore. Um, although I will say that, you know, I think and this has been said by a few uh, Andre Tucker, you know, is is up for the, uh, you know, the MVP right now, as far as I'm concerned because that guy seems to be running an extremely tight ship uh, with regards to the, you know, protocols. And, um, and and I think that the thing that makes that so important, and I think many teams are, but I think the thing that makes that so important was put 
perfectly on display because this was an opportunity where the players had to make another decision. This was the precipice of something. Okay, something happened. We think we've been breached. How do we restore the trust? And I think it was extremely impressive the way that the organization had as much trust as they did of the players. And, I mean, they had them back later in the day. You know what, what kind of – I mean, that, that these players – feel safer at Hallis Hall probably than any place on earth right now. And I think that's really important to the work that they're getting to do in training camp and that they have to do. And I think this team is really, really close to each other right now. And what I was struck by the whole situation, and I've been struck really since early, you know, during the the first time the team started to have Zoom calls together and, and some of the social justice things came out and different things. And but I've just been impressed the way this team has gelled and they haven't even been on the field yet. So, and I'm really impressed with Nagy as a leader. We can, you know, everybody can criticize him for his play calling and his quarterback development, maybe this or that, but as a leader of men, he's very impressive. He's really positive and he's just made me feel good about almost everything that's gone on that he has something to do with. Aaron and, and Eric, we you just kind of approached on a subject that uh, has recently reared its head again. Uh, in fact, today, and we're, we're talking about the, the social injustices. Uh, it started with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, opting to sit out tonight's in an NBA game. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, and uh, I think they're supposed to be playing Cincinnati and Milwaukee. Uh, they decided to sit out a game. They're going to play a doubleheader tomorrow. Uh, then the NBA decided to quickly suspend or postpone uh, all three games that were supposed to be played tonight. Uh, and this is this is in reaction to the shooting of the uh, the gentleman in uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, just a couple of days ago. Breaking news, as I'm sitting here listening to us talk, uh, on the on the uh, Bleacher Report, uh, the, the, the Lakers and the Clippers have voted to not finish the NBA season. They're going to sit out the rest of the playoffs, guys. Uh, so, wow. Uh, this is crazy stuff. And, uh, Eric, I'm going to pose the question to you because since you're uh, – you know, you've you've got uh, you've got a line on some inside things that Aaron and I don't have. How do you think, if it affects uh, the NFL, will it affect it at all going uh, forward for the regular season? Oh, I think it's absolutely going to affect the NFL, especially if nothing happens in the coming weeks. You know, they want to see action. They want to see justice. For this, for this guy, I mean, shot seven times in the back in front of his kids. I mean, that's messed up, man. So, you know, Danny Trevathan has already been very vocal about it, and I imagine there's other guys on the Bears behind the scenes who are the same way, and it's the same across the rest of the NFL. It's a heavily African-American league, and, you know, they don't feel safe, nor should they, given what's been happening lately. So I would not be the least bit surprised if there's, you know, similar actions if something isn't done about this pretty soon. So it would not shock me in the least if, you know, similar stances are made by, you know, 
players across the league. So it, it all depends on, you know, how it's handled in the coming days and weeks ahead. So, you know, my eyes and ears are open just like everybody else's. I have absolutely no clue what's going to happen. Yeah, Tariq Cohen has been retweeting um, several uh, tweets out here lately. Um, you know, he retweeted Danny Trevathan's. Uh, Danny's uh, tweet from four hours ago uh, says, it's like every other day, man. I'm so sick of the senseless killings of unarmed black Americans. To this day, all we want is to be treated equal. Uh, Jamal Adams w was retweeted by, by Tariq. Uh, who simply put in all caps, we want change, we want justice. And, uh, you know, Tariq's uh, own comment to what we, what's going on is, shit's crazy, man. And he's so right, and we don't usually use any uh, profanity on the Halitech Hall show, but uh, this is, you know, this is unprecedented stuff. And and uh, so I wanted to make sure it was was quoted exactly the way it was written on Twitter by Tariq and Danny it, it it it's crazy, um, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know they they found a they found a knife in his car, but he wasn't in his car. He was trying to get in his car, but you know he, there. I mean, there's. I hate to say there's two sides to every story because he apparently was tased, and we don't see all of that. But I, I don't care who you are. You don't you don't pull a gun on a guy if he's if he's being belligerent. Is is one thing, and, and of course he was by not following any any orders by the police and ignoring everybody. But you don't shoot an innocent, well, uh, an unarmed man, uh, seven times in the back in front of his kids. Uh, block his car. He can't go anywhere if you block his car, and then he's going to have to get out of the car and, and face the police officers anyway. You know, I don't know how the guy didn't die. Uh, and rumors are that he might be facing paralysis. It, it's just absolutely this type of police action. I don't care if it's against a black man, a purple man, a red man, a woman, a Muslim. It, I don't care. You just don't do this kind of stuff. And it's got to change. And, you know, if, if we end up losing a couple of, of games in the NFL... Uh, and we've talked about how flexible the NFL schedule is. You know, they can they can easily postpone the first week of the season. Uh, they can postpone the second week of the season and still have a 15-game season by moving the second games is every single team that plays against each other in week two share the same bye week. So you can end up losing one game, but that would, that would just send loud and clear messages uh, that the, uh, the, these athletes aren't going to tolerate this stuff anymore. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah. ultimately, you know, the, the more athletes that, that exercise their right to protest, it's, it's, it's their right, and they are, I, you know, I applaud them for using their platform. Uh, you know, selfishly, <laughs> it, it's, it, you know, there's a part of you that goes, man, I wish we could just have sports, but I know that's not important, but I'll be honest, you know, there's a flip side to that where it's just like, ah, like, are you really, like, we can't just have one thing be normal right now, and I know that that's <laughs> selfish, but it's just, and, and, you know, and it kills everybody. I'm sure that, that, that 
black people don't want to be feeling these feelings right now. They don't want to do any of that, nor do these players want to get pulled away from training camps and games. So it's, you know, I mean, screw, you know, our pastime and whatever. But, yeah, I mean, if, if you don't think there's going to be some sort of a domino effect, you're kidding yourself, you know, um, especially if NBA stops playing, you know, completely. It's, you know, and there's going to be a domino effect. There probably should be. Hopefully something good comes out of it, um, you know, and and hopefully uh, if not, you know, then, then something down the line happens. But it's definitely crazy times. And, you know, every time you think that you can kind of exhale and be like, all right, yes, things kind of feel normal. It's like, nope, 2020 rides again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's crazy stuff, but. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pose this question just to put it out there. It's it's not anything that I believe in, but um, these athletes walk off their job. They're sacrificing millions of dollars in salary, millions of dollars in salary, and that money isn't gonna go towards any efforts to in, improve, uh, you know, police etiquette. Uh, it's and it's going to create a situation where um, you know there's there's angst uh, amongst sports fans. There already is because of you know the the lack of the lack of baseball, the lack of basketball, basketball in a bubble, hockey in a bubble. They're talking of the uh, of Major League Baseball doing playoffs in a bubble. Uh, we've already lost several of the power conferences for all of fall sports, not just football. Uh, to, to Aaron's point, it's it's a crazy time. And the one thing that we would hope to have that gives us some sorts of normality is sports. And now that's being taken away from us, not by COVID, but by the social injustices that we're seeing and we're seeing repeatedly. Well, I think that's that's I was just going to say that if you that's the question that these athletes have to face is do they give up their platform to make a statement because you do. And I think that that's sort of how the NBA kind of talked themselves into playing in the wake of George Floyd was they gave them all these avenues. But the problem is, if you corporatize and candy coat the protests, it completely loses its power. So I don't care what's on the back of their jerseys or what's printed on the court. I mean, it, it has all the gravitas of the, you know, cancer awareness that the NFL does, you know, every every year. Like it's like, and not to, not to crap on that, but it's, it's just corporatized messaging. It's not, it, it ceases to have any, you know, kind of effect. So I think they have to ask themselves, you know, is that is that done as a statement? And then do I, you know, because there's, unfortunately, no matter what, there's always going to be somebody behind them who's willing to take their job. So it's like, do they lose their platform by doing that? And I think, you know, that's something they have to wrestle with. You, they, the NFL made a huge mistake, and and I'll have to be, admit I was part of that mistake when. Um, Nobody took Colin Kaepernick seriously. Um, there was a, a, a report on Twitter. Um, I think Jack Silverstein 
um, was talking about it with a, a basketball player back in the 90s. Uh, Craig Hodges was blackballed by the league because of the stance he wanted to take about social injustice. He tried to get Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson to, to sit out uh, in, in protest to social injustice. And they, nah, man, and right, you know, Magic Johnson literally said, man, that's going to cost me way too much money. So and here we are 30-some years later, and the problem still exists. Unfortunately true, you know, it's, it's, it's a catch-22 sometimes with, you know, athletes and having to make this sort of decision, but, you know, this is just my personal opinion. Just saying you want change and continuing to play and, you know, trying to, you know, give to charities and do all that sort of stuff, that's great, but does it incite real change? Does it get people outside, you know, the bubble itself? to want change or what if we do this instead? What if we took away what they want, which is, you know, playing games and basketball, football, what if we take away what they want and they don't get to see it? Will that force other people to say, listen, they're not going to play until we, until they see change. So we've got to find a way to give them what they want. And, you know, it's a bargaining chip, but it's shown that it can work in years past. So I think that's what these athletes are starting to realize that we tried to do it an amicable way, and it, this stuff is still happening. So maybe it's time we took some, took it away, and see if that you know gets their attention. So I think that's sort of the mindset a lot of these guys are having right now. And the NBA too, especially I think a couple things to consider. Obviously, it's it's a predominantly black league. But also on an NBA team, there's like 11, 12 guys, so it's a lot easier to convince those that small amount of players to galvanize, you know, than it is with a 53-man NFL roster. So I don't know that you'll see that kind of. I mean, even though there's obviously a huge, uh, large percentage of black players, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm just not sure that you'll see the same strong action by NFL players and teams. I could be wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, if they do it and, and it works, like I said, or if it doesn't work, you know, if it doesn't work, if it just sends a message, you know, it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and tell somebody how to, that they can't protest and use their platform, but I just, I still, the NFL is just a different animal and it moves, it's been moving forward while everybody else has been stopped or in stasis. The NFL has just been a freight train of sorts. You know, and just when you think they have no plan, oh, guess what? We have we have the greatest plan, and it's working. And you know, I mean, and hard knocks is happening, and it's just the NFL just is a freight train. So it's it's still hard for me to imagine that the NFL won't continue somehow. The NFL has got to come out uh, and and speak to this, and and they they started to when the Foreman thing happened. Uh, and and everything else, but th- they've got to be long and loud about it. Uh, they they are by far the most powerful uh, sports entity. Uh, probably, if you take the NFL or the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NHL, Major League Soccer combined, they don't have the power that the NFL has in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's time for the NFL to be leaders in this. 
Uh, we're we're talking with Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery on the, the Halitech Hall Show, and we've gotten way off track, so we're going to take a minute uh, and hear from our sponsor, Tick Splits, and when we come back, we're going to get back to what we do best, which is talking about the Chicago Bears. We'll be right back, everybody. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TIXBLITZ.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. TickSplits.com for all your ticket needs, sports, concerts, Broadway. Uh, tell all of your friends to follow the Halitech Hall Show when we get to 1,000 followers. TickSplits has given us two tickets. And, Eric, you can tell all your buddies at Sports Mockery to follow us, too. Uh, and they could, anybody that's following us could be, could be getting two tickets to the Bears-Packers game in 2021 in Chicago. So uh, follow us in when you can finally get out and go to a sporting event or a concert. You use tailgate as a promo code. That's T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, all in caps, and save 5% off your entire order at TickSplits.com, where you never pay a service fee. We're back with Aaron and Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery. Uh, guys, we kind of got off track uh, for a little bit, but it was an important conversation to have. Um, let's get back to the Bears. And, and um, Eric, you wrote an article here just uh, a day or so ago about the wide receiver competition. And uh, in a quick rundown, there's five wide receivers that are, that are pretty much locks for the roster, including their rookie uh, draft pick, Mooney. You've got Robinson, uh, Anthony Miller, Mooney, Ginn, Patterson. Those five seem to be locks. If you have seven guys on the list because you've got Patterson that's actually a multi, multi-role multi player, he's, he's your return man on kickoffs. He's going to be doing uh, some running back. He, he's been lining up mostly in running back uh, so far in camp. Um uh, that leaves that leaves Wims and Ridley, and you had a very eye-opening article just a couple of days ago. So tell us about it. Well, you know, before camp, Mike Furry, their wide receivers coach, really sang the praises of Ridley. He said he was making a lot of progress in terms of how he's approaching the game, and he was really excited to see the former fourth-round pick in camp. So it was like, okay, and you know, Javon Wims. He really had a lot more opportunities last year, and he really wasn't able to, you know, capitalize on them all that much. Now, all of that wasn't his fault, but still, you would have liked to see him be a little more productive with the chances that he did have, considering how well he's played in little snippets in the past. So it really felt like Wims was the guy on the outside looking in going into this camp with Ridley sort of having an edge because he's a former fourth-round pick and because he still has so much upside. But from everything I've, you know, heard and, you know, seen in, you know, highlights and whatnot and hearing from other guys, it sounds like Ridley's gotten off to sort of a slow start this camp, whereas Wins, you know, he's making a lot more of those eye-popping plays, a lot of, you know, a lot of touchdowns, a lot of bigger plays, and he's looked good in his route running. He's looked quicker. So it's like 
huh, suddenly it looks like Wims might actually be the, the guy on the inside, whereas Ridley might have actually a tough time cracking the main roster at, at this rate. You, you honestly don't know because you don't know how the coaches themselves are thinking, but that's sort of the perception of things right now. Aaron, I think uh, when we were both going over our, our way too early 53-man roster, um, I think we both uh, thought that that uh, the Bears would end up with seven wide receivers on their 53-man squad. Have you changed your opinion? Well, I I am not, um, and I think that Corderell being kind of dual purpose definitely kind of solidifies that. Uh, my concern that's arisen recently is more about Nagy's uh, kind of hinting and then not so hinting that he was going to keep two kickers on the roster when we picked up Cairo Santos, a.k.a. Carlos Santos of John Fox fame. Um, and so that's what's giving me pause about this seven receivers business, because I don't know, I, unless the league has not said, I don't know that there's going to be a special provision for kickers you know, so that you can keep two for COVID purposes, because that's what he sort of said, um, you know, was happening. He didn't have anything to do with another groin with Eddie Pinheiro, um, apparently. It's, it's what Nagy says. And then it's more of a COVID backup. So that's what's making me think, like, gosh, is there going to be room enough for some of these guys? You know, uh, it, it gives me pause. I think that when you look at, the practice squad rules for this year. I think that's where you're going to find the second kicker uh, and move them up if and when you need to because of COVID or because in in what's going on now with Eddie's another groin injury that uh, hit us in camp. Uh, so we've got two people down with groins now. Um, Eric, what, what do you think about uh, what Nagy said about two kickers? Uh, are you? Do you think they're going to be Two, two kickers on the 53-man, or are you going to stash one on the practice squad? No, I, I'm of your thinking. I think they're going to stash one on the practice squad. It's been expanded to, I believe, 16 players. You're allowed to include veterans on it now. So I, I believe that's the approach they're going to take, you know, keep Eddie on the main roster. And if he's either injured again or if COVID, you know, rears its ugly head again, they'll have that guy stashed on the practice squad ready to come up in an emergency. So I believe that's the, the approach they're going to take. Because you really don't want to carry two kickers on the main roster because you need every spot you can get for other more needed positions on offense and defense. On offense. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, if you're going to continue the story or if you're going to continue the line on kickers, go ahead because I was. No, not on kickers. I was just going to say, I'm, I, you know, the, the more receivers get in the mix, you know, I start to think like, it, are there enough footballs to go around? I mean, you know, I have people trying to tell me that Cordero Patterson's going to be the leading rusher for the Bears and things like this. <laughs> you know, and I actually so I had someone bet me the money that that's going to happen. I'm like, is this a joke? Uh, I guess I will take your money. Um, yeah, so, money. yeah, it's like, well, that's great. Even, even with Dave Montgomery injured, I'm not worried. But I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I like all these guys, but I feel like we've kind of done this before. You know, like we, we already did this with Wims and Ridley. We always do this as Bear fans with the receivers. We think, oh, these weapons, all these weapons, all these weapons. I'll tell you what I was happiest about today out of camp was they put out the video of Anthony Miller getting hit 
with a pass from Nick Foles, where Foles like faked one way and threw back the other way and hit Anthony Miller, and Anthony Miller must have been bursting inside because like. <laughs> That is what he wants to have happen every game. And he was just like, oh, my God, somebody hit me. Somebody actually hit me in right in stride, <laughs> and he came out with a dance, and he's spinning the ball. And you could just tell that he was just elated because that's what this dude needs to have happen, not to be making, like, uh, you know, insane sprawled catches and, and you know, getting missed. So that's what I that, – I don't care about those other guys – we need Anthony Miller to be that complement to Allen Robinson. If we have tight ends that function and we have Anthony Miller as a thousand yard guy with 10 touchdowns, I mean, the sky's the limit. Like if Allen Robinson just does what he does, sky's the limit. So it's like those other guys are interesting to me, kind of, but Anthony Miller is it. Well, to get Anthony Miller the ball, there's got to be a pocket in front of, I don't care who the quarterback is going Absolutely. to be. And uh, which, which leads me into, um, you know, this Jermaine Fetty uh, has, has really caught the eye of, uh, of the coaches and seems to be cementing himself at this right guard position. Uh, we talked about James Daniels earlier where, you know, he came into camp and everybody's tongue was hanging out because gone was the baby fat of a rookie uh, and he bulked up with some muscle. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see going, going forward because it, everything starts with the front five. I, I don't, you know, I, you know, to much the chagrin of, of a lot of people, um, I, I'm very adamant about the fact that part of Trubisky's problems last year was his lack of confidence because the, the offensive line play in front of him was so bad, and it wasn't as bad as it was, uh, you know, in 2018, they had decent O-line play. They had a lack of holding calls. They had a lack of false starts. They had a lack of missed blocks. They had none of that in 2019. So, if it starts up front, which it should, it's all going to have other things fall in place. And, you know, Anthony Miller, uh, he struggled as well in the in 2019. He wasn't running his routes right. He was taking some dumb penalties. He was he dropped a couple of passes, which hurt drives. Uh, but then all of a sudden, he really came alive in those last few games of the year. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can really be that compliment to, to Allen Robinson, because if he does, Eric, this is going to be a hell of a one-two punch. And then you've got the other complimentary guys like Ginn and Moody and Ridley uh, that can complement the rest of the passing game. And we haven't even started to talk about our next topic, which will be tight ends. Oh, without question. I mean, Anthony Miller is fully capable of being a Pro Bowl player. You see the flashes. You see how good he can be. Towards the second half of last year, he was playing like a Pro Bowl player. I mean, he was that dynamic. Now, the question with him, yes, the offensive line is absolutely going to play a part in his success, but also health. Health has been his biggest issue with the constant shoulder problems that he's had the past couple of years. So, what I want to see from him is to actually play a full 16-game season because, you know, you, you always 
Brian Pace said it best, you know, the best ability is availability. And, you know, being available has been a bit of a problem for him the past two years. So I want to see that in addition to him continuing from where he left off last season, because if he can stay healthy and looks like that guy again, you know, he's absolutely going to crack a thousand yards and just make life easier for Allen Robinson. Yeah. When was the last time the bears had two 1000 yard receivers? That's a good question. Two, 2013, I believe it was. Alshon and Brandon Marshall. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, I think there might have been a time. I feel like there was a time where maybe Booker and another guy well, was close, but I don't. It's been rare. It's been. And then very you got to go all, all the way back to the. Oh, was it late '80s or, or early '90s when it was uh, uh, Conway, Conway and Graham? And, yeah. Yeah. I believe 95 was when they both had a thousand. Okay. Yeah. That was Got Eric you. Kramer's best year. Right. Yes, it was. That's the, best, that's it, the it, highest. Says, that's the yeah. single season passing record for the Bears. Which well, is somebody, somebody put up a stat. Actually, I'll give a credit here. It's a guy on Twitter, Buttkiss Stats and Analytics. Uh, said Bears Anthony Miller, week 7 through 15, he had 42 catches, 67 targets. 569 yards, 63 yards a game, two touchdowns. <clears throat> Across 16 games, that would be 75 catches for 1,012 yards and four TDs. He got off to a slow start in weeks one through five, but after the bye week, he put up good numbers the rest of the way. So I think he's got it in him. And I mean, and that's that's him being a part of, like, you know, one of the worst offenses in the league. So if this offense can just become <clears throat> middle of the pack, you have to think Anthony Miller is going to benefit from that and vice versa. Absolutely. Eric, um, we've, we've pretty much covered wide receivers, but uh, the by far uh, in camp so far, the shining light, the stars of camp, it turned out to be the tight end position and, and uh, everybody just absolutely slammed pace for the signing of Jimmy Graham and Jimmy Graham almost single-handedly has brought this mindset and cockiness uh, to the entire position group, uh, this swagger that, you know, quite frankly, we haven't seen from the tight end group probably since the days of Mike Ditka in, in the early sixties. And uh, uh, when it was just, it, when it was just Ditka, but it, it had, and it, it hasn't been just commit. And Graham, it's it's been every other tight end has sometime during practice shown flashes of a, of a great play or a great catch or a great bounce off a tackle. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're excited about the tight end position like we never have in the history of the Bears franchise. Well, I mean... People laughed at Ryan Pace when he signed Jimmy Graham, and I'm here thinking, well, who knows Jimmy Graham better than Ryan Pace? He was part of the draft team that you know brought Graham in in New Orleans, so he knows Jimmy Graham almost better than anybody. So he would know whether or not this guy might have some you know some gas left in the tank. And also, you have to factor in the offense that he's coming into, you know, green Bay had a successful offense last year. Don't, don't get me wrong, but that offense isn't geared around utilizing the tight end that much. And Aaron Rodgers historically hasn't used the tight end much in his career. Anyway, he, he prefers wide receivers. So this offense 
if you look at Kansas City, if you look at Philadelphia, it's predicated on getting the tight end heavily involved. So I felt if Graham still has some juice left in the tank, that he could actually have a rebound year in this system, you know, which, which will feature his talents. He's still big. He's still athletic. He might not be as fast as he used to be, but he, he's shown glimpses that he can still run. So I believe he can put, put together a pretty good year. And then you look at the rest of the roster, you know, you got a great mix. You've got a good blocker in Harris and, you know, Cole Komet, you know, the ceiling is ridiculous with this guy, 260 pounds, six foot six, can run like a deer, great hands and a great mindset from everything I've heard. Just a really good kid and a tireless worker, absolutely relentless. And that's exactly what you want to hear. And then you've got J.P. Holtz. He's a great mix of a guy, you know, a good blocker. He'll get after it with you. And it's deceptively good hands. And then you got Horstead, who's the big play machine, always seems to make a flash play himself. They've got all sorts of unique options in this group, and they're making a lot of plays. And if the Bears can sort of get, get them going, it'll just make life that much easier for everybody else. And one guy I think could really benefit from that is Tariq Cohen, because if you can open up the middle of the field and, you know, draw – defensive players towards the tight ends, it puts him one-on-one with better matchups like linebackers. And if that happens, it's an instant mismatch every time. So getting the tight ends involved is absolutely something that can make this offense instantly better. They had some decent play in 18 from uh, uh, Trey Burton, um, but not much else because Shaheen was nowhere to be found. Uh, you know, last year you, you had a couple of, you, you had the Dallas game where you got some great um, contributions from the tight ends, but beyond the Dallas game, the, the tight end position was, was pretty much a no show. Who was the, there was one catch against Detroit. And I can't remember who it was that caught the top. That was Horstead. So, so you, so you know, that's how bad, when you can literally count the number of plays that tight ends had, uh, and they were only in two games, that tells you how bad that position actually played. So it's it's imperative, as you said, I'm, I'm going to use your words, it's totally, uh, you know, this is an offense that revolves around productive tight end play that opens up everything else. And if you can use play action to uh, to to slow down the the linebackers, you get the tight ends into the middle of the field where the safeties have to come up. Then that frees up the the wide receivers to go one on one downfield. And with guys like Ginn and Mooney and Robinson and and Miller that can get downfield, that's going to open up a lot of uh, long distance passing. And and let's face it. Number one, Trubisky's accuracy on long passes was terrible in 19. But in 18, he actually led the league in the most completions where the ball traveled 50 yards or more in the air. He led everybody, and that includes Mahomes. When I say everybody, I mean everybody. So we know he's got it in him. We know now that the the tight end position is going to be productive. And I, I, I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm real excited for the year to start and 18 days can't go by fast enough. <laughs> yeah, I will say that I was 
<clears throat> not one of the people that was killing Pace over the Jimmy Graham thing. I've just become used to Pace overpaying for everything, so I didn't <laughs> really like. I mean, it's just his just his mo. He just overpays for everything, so it's like I'm I can't get mad about it anymore. It's not my money. I don't. We're not really that cap strapped, but you know he, he did what he had to do. Jimmy Graham had more yards than the entire tight end position last year. He had and more catches and more touchdowns. So to say he's not an instant upgrade is just kidding yourself. Nobody thinks he's going to get 1,200 yards like he did in 2013, you know, and 16 touchdowns. Nobody thinks that. But if he gets six, 700 yards and 50, 60 catches, five, five to seven touchdowns, I'll be ecstatic. And if, and if uh, you know, Cole Komet gets 30, 40 catches and 400 yards and four or five touchdowns, same thing. I mean, that will be three times the production of the entire position last year. And everything you guys said about how the tight end changes everything is important. And I think they've showed us little snippets in the tight end highlights was one of the things. And what you see in these highlights, which is so important, is linebackers and safeties on tight ends, and that just changes everything. When you have a tight end that commands attention and pulls the linebackers and the safety out of the box, it just changes everything. I mean, it makes it makes it so that they can't play the RPO the same way. It just changes everything. So, I mean, you know, I, I think we have good reason to be excited about what's going to happen. I just still am wondering, you know, because people have said, you know, are they going to run a lot of two tight ends, you know? Um, does that who loses the touches and the and the snaps, you know, and when Jimmy Graham is in the slot, you know, and and they want to have commit uh, in the in the inline. So and that's going to be interesting, but it's a good problem to have. I think, you know, if people could say what they want about pace and I've bashed pace plenty, but you needed the position upgraded. He absolutely 100 percent upgraded the position. You want to, uh, you know, you want to kill him for the methods, okay? But he got, he got what needed done, done. So who's gonna get the ball to these uh, receivers and tight ends and running backs? Tyler so, Bray. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when camp first started, uh, there was there was a lot of talk about the how different Trubisky looked. And then recently uh, Foles has kind of caught up to him. In fact, uh, in today's uh, practice session, uh, he led a two minute drive where they didn't, they, they kept him in the entire series uh, with the, with the ones. Uh, and he'd led the, they led the team down for a touchdown and everybody's going, okay, now Foles has got the, he's got the edge now. Um, and then Trubisky ran with the twos. So, you know, he didn't fare as well. And then tomorrow, uh, if, if, you know, things hold the way they're supposed to hold, Trubisky will run the two minute with the one. So it'll be interesting to see. So it's, it's almost a day to day thing. So Eric, I'm going to pose the question to you because I I know where where Aaron stands on this. Um, who's gonna Who's gonna be the quarterback under center when the Bears are in Detroit in, in 18 days? 
You know, I've kind of flip-flopped on this over the past, you know, couple of weeks because it's just really hard to gauge because there's no preseason, there's been no minicamp. So, you know, we're just going off so little information. But honestly, the more and more I think about it and the more and more I hear, I think it's going to be Foles. I really do. You know, the bottom line is he executes this offense the way it's supposed to be executed. He can throw with timing and anticipation. He has an effective deep ball. He, he just understands how to read defenses better and quicker. And while I understand people think Trubisky is going to get the first shot, you know, to start, you know, sort of like Mariota did last year, give him the first few games, see how he does, see if he can sort of pull the nose up. And then if it doesn't happen, you just go to the bullpen with both. But at the end of the day, from what I'm understanding is Trubisky's still suffering from a lot of the same issues he, he had last year, you know, constant overthrows, balls misplaced, bad decisions. And it's just a lot of stuff that hasn't changed. Whereas Foles, you have to understand, he came into this camp absolutely ice cold. He had never worked with his receivers before. He, he, he barely knew the offense aside from studying the playbook. It was an overhaul, overhauled coaching staff. So he was absolutely at a disadvantage, and now he's not only caught up to Trubisky, he seems to have overtaken him a little bit. And that just tells you all you need to know about both Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, which is why I think Foles is going to end up winning this competition. To me, my biggest fear on some level is playing out right in front of my eyes, which is that they both aren't very good, but but Foles is, is better than Mitch. Because I think, unfortunately, the overriding theme amongst the, the beat writers has been that neither quarterback has been very impressive. But reluctantly, they will say this person won. Today, it seems like that that, that flipped a little bit. I think Hogue, you know, kind of gave Foles, you know, the most praise he's given him so far. Um you know, and sort of, you know, said, okay, well, it looks like this is a day when somebody took the bull by the horns, so to speak. But I still am just feeling like the Bears have two backups. And, uh, you know, I think what I thought before, which is Foles is better than Trubisky, but I still have a hard time envisioning either one of these guys being anything more than that best, maybe a, a middle of the pack, 15th ranked quarterback. Um, now, Foles, we know, can get on a heater and, you know, take you all the way. Uh, so for me, that's where I'm at, and that's why I would roll the dice with Foles. And it's strange, though, because, you know, on, on ESPN, they had all the beat writers on. And so they had Dickerson, Weederer, Fishbang, Potash, Dion Miller, uh, Finley, Stankovic. I mean, it's not all of them, but that's seven, and that's some of the big ones. And they asked them who's going to start. Dickerson said Foles. Weeder said Foles. Fishbane said Foles by a lot. Weeder said Foles slightly. Potash said Foles, but True will start. Miller said the same thing. Finley said True, but slightly. And Stankovic said Foles, but True will start. So three of the people who picked Foles are picking him, but think that because of some reason some political you know or it's just too close to call so they think let's roll the dice one more time with mitch that he's still going to get the start even though he may not have won the competition which is so bears and (laughs) it just makes me so like 
it just it just hurts. Like it hurts that we're once again choosing between two flavors of crap ice cream, and we can't have nice things. <laughs> That's how I feel. Yeah. So the the uh, the guy, I've never heard of this guy, uh, Brendan uh, Segru is the guy that posted this uh, this unofficial poll that you just w- went through. Mm-hmm. And uh, under, underneath it, he he's put a subsequent tweet out there that said um, about the, uh, the, the seven uh, reporters, most agreed while Foles has been better, they don't see how Trubisky isn't starting because it's close. The reasoning was you can bring Foles off the bench, but it's harder to do that with Trubisky. And I posed that that question to to a couple of our guests earlier uh, in in the preseason, because if if you pull if you pull Trubisky now and put him on the bench, uh, we talked about his lack of confidence that he lost because of his terrible line play last year. Uh, what's that going to do to his confidence for a young quarterback? Or is it going to light a fire underneath him? So it, it, I can see the point where these guys are saying Foles might have, have a slight edge, but they're going to start Trubisky because you can always pull Foles off the bench because he's done that role several times in the past where Trubisky hasn't. And that's, I think, why we're seeing what we're seeing from the beat writers at ESPN 1000. Well, it's all it's a sometimes it's the Tribune, it's ABC, it's it's NBC Sports Chicago. Uh, it's it's just such a dis, it's just disappointing. You wanted someone to win. I don't care who wins. I just wanted someone to win, like and win decisively, and for them to go. Okay, the Bears have a quarterback, whether his name is Foles or Trubisky or Bray. I don't care, and it just sounds like. Well, we got these guys, and I guess we're going to go with Mitch because of a bunch of other stuff that is just like, ugh, like it's just, uh I hope, I just hope one of these guys steps up and takes it. And again, I don't think we're going to find out until the last minute because upcoming this Saturday, God willing, and the creek doesn't rise, there's a scrimmage at Soldier Field, and that is the last open practice to the media. So everything else, they are not going to see any more players on players. They're going to see warm-ups and individual drills only. So if we don't know anything by Saturday, we don't know anything until right before the first game. We might not know anything until they announce the starting lineups Sunday morning. Uh, Absolutely. From, from Ford, from Ford field. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, Eric, um, how many how many practices have there been, you know, where both both Foles and Trubisky have thrown the ball? It's only been a handful still, uh, because you had to take the first two weeks for strength and conditioning as part of this crazy uh, COVID protocol season that that's upon us. So there hasn't been a lot which I can understand why there really hasn't been a separation by anybody. And when you, when you alternate every play, instead of having a string of plays to try to develop a quarterback's rhythm, I can understand why it is so close. And 
Eric, I, you know, Eric, I'm going to, I'm going to say, you know, keep the faith because I think you're going to see one of the quarterbacks really set themselves apart in, in these next two weeks because they have to, they, they have to do uh, where they keep the quarterback in. They might have to run the same plays in the same drill the next day for the same, for the other guy. But Fultz is with the ones today. Trubisky's going to be with the ones tomorrow. If Trubisky doesn't do as well as Foles, you're going to all of a sudden now see a bigger spread between Foles and Trubisky where Foles has kind of stolen the uh, edge that Trubisky first had when, when the camp opened. So Eric, what are your thoughts going forward? Uh, I think you've got to give both players a string of plays to run, to develop some type of continuity, some type of flow to see how they do, as opposed to I'll, I'll run, I'll run this play. And now Mitch, you come in and run the same play. Well, the defense knows that same play is coming now. So how, how can you do it any more effectively when the defense knows what's coming? And, you know, this is a po- that, that's sort of a point I've been making. People have been, you know, wanting the Bears offense to, you know, just come out firing and look great and, you know, get into immediate rhythm. You know, and I keep pointing out a, f- a few factors that are continuing to be ignored. They didn't have many camps. They didn't have OTAs. And while, yes, those are walkthroughs, they do help you know, the offense sort of install and sort of, you know, start shaking the rust off. And, you know, they didn't have that this year. And I also point out constantly that they're going up against one of the best defenses in the NFL. And that defense has pride and they're not going to just let these guys walk all over them for no particular reason, other than, you know, people want to feel good about the quarterback. You know, they want to play well too. They want to make sure they're ready. And, you know, they want to be the best defense in the NFL. And, you know, they're, they're just not going to go easy on people just because, you know, of those circumstances. So there was never going to be a lot of separation early on because Foles was coming in a little rusty, having not been able to work with anybody. And, you know, Mitch, the same thing, you know, he, he didn't have those, those prior workouts too. So it was going to take them a few practices to sort of, sort of start finding a groove. And from what I've you know, I've been listening to this constantly, and from everything I've heard is Foles has gradually gotten better with every single practice, especially in the past week. And, you know, the, game, the practice today was his best practice, and it was a considerably good one. He was with the number one offense, yes, going, going up against the number one defense, but I, I think people forget that he didn't have Allen Robinson in those drills. Allen Robinson is still out with his ankle injury, and he was still able to execute a six-for-seven passing two-minute drill against, you know, one of the best defenses in the league, and I find that to be pretty impressive. You know, again, it was under controlled circumstances. I understand that, and you don't want to get too geeked up about stuff like that, but I believe if you're wanting to see separation, you're actually starting to see it. It's just not quite as pronounced yet, so... I think Foles is slowly starting to seize control of this thing. Now, obviously, that can change. Mitch can come right back and fire back, and all of a sudden we're back to, back to even. So 
But, you know, the way I see it is we're starting to see that separation, and I think Foles is just starting to settle in. He's starting to find a rhythm, and when he does, we've seen what he can do when he's in a rhythm and he sort of has that groove. He can really carve up some really good defenses. So that's where I think we're at right now. And, you know, what happens from here, you just can't predict. Well, I certain I seem to remember a, a guy named Nick Foles who carved up a pretty darn good defense in the playoffs in 2018, and and uh, you know threw a game-winning touchdown on fourth down. That's a guy I remember, and I know he played like crap most of that game, but when it mattered, he did what he needed to do, and he beat the best defense in the league at at the same time. So, you know, and that counts for something. Like, everybody talks about, well, they're going to give Mitch a shot to give him one more chance. Well, how about we give the guy a shot who won the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, people people kind of want to, like, just act like the Foles winning the Super Bowl thing counts for nothing. Like, I know he's had a bad career, but he still did that, you know? I mean, that still happened. Like, and, and 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 it counted for him getting a big contract in Jacksonville, you know. So I think it has to count to Laser and Filippo and Nagy on some level if it's that close. It's like, do we give the kid one more shot, you know, and send the message to everybody that that's what we're going to do, even though they've been a little more tough love on him? Or do we go, you know what, we think our defense is this good, we think the offense is looking good, and we're going to go with the guy that's one on the biggest stage. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, we've we've kind of hinted on, on our uh, this last subject uh, often throughout the show this evening, and that's the 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 defense. Uh, once uh, once we went to eleven on eleven, the defense has actually stolen the show away from the offense. Uh, you know, and even the, starting with the line, Bilal Nichols has been praised. Uh, Roy Robertson Harris has been praised. Akeem Hicks looks like a monster again. Uh, the the linebacking crew of, of Quinn and Mac uh, that uh, are on the edges against with Trevathan and Roquan. Uh, and then you've got some ball hawking going on too. Jalen has has come through with a couple of picks over the last couple of days and been super aggressive uh, in in both press and man to man, so it's it's been an exciting time hearing. Although we we were we're all dying to hear how the offense is doing well, we tend to forget about the fact that we've got a top five defense that they're going up against, and you know those guys got some pride, like Aaron said, they're playing. Uh, Eric, they're playing pretty damn well right now. I mean, that's where the star power is. I mean, this defense is loaded from front to back, and I'm not just talking about, you know, really good players. I'm talking great players. You know, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, Robert Quinn, Danny Trevathan is way underrated. I think Roquan Smith, if he stays healthy this year, is probably going to end up in the Pro Bowl. And then, you know, people continue to forget about Eddie Jackson. I mean, I think this guy's going to have a ridiculously good year, you know, similar to 2018. I'm that confident because of how good the pass rush is. And, you know, from everything I've seen in camp and, and heard, you know, he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he's everywhere. He's getting his hand on the football constantly. 
he's leading guys, he's encouraging guys. I mean, he, he is up to the challenge this year, so I think he's going to have another big year. So, you know, this defense is just absolutely stacked. They have depth in almost everywhere. So, you know, you expect them to be great because they've shown they can be great. And I think that's why people are so frustrated with the offense because they want to see it sort of get up closer to the level of this defense because that's when you'll know and you'll feel confident that, okay, now this team is ready to make a run of the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, all you have to do is follow the money. The money is on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, even without Goldman, and, you know, and his six to eight million, they got a huge amount. You have, you know, um, Eddie Jackson's the second highest paid safety in the game. You know, Khalil Mack's the highest paid player on the Bears. Kyle Fuller's making 11.5. You know, I mean, they, they got guys who are making some money and they deserve it. Uh, you know, so, but that's, you know, that's the way this team is built. And that's why I still, through all this, you know, ridiculousness with the quarterbacks, I still can't come off this defense being worth at least eight wins just on face value. Like, I just have a hard time envisioning that not being true. So whatever happens on the offensive side of the ball, I still feel like the baseline is that. And, you know, so they just have to figure out a way to give them a little bit more than 17 points a game. Yeah. You know, when, when you just talked about Eddie Goldman, and uh, it kind of reminded me of the 1985 Bears, where this wasn't an, this wasn't a, a holdout, uh, a voluntary holdout because of, of a pandemic, but... You know, two extremely good players on the defense held out because of contract disputes in 1985, and they missed out on history. So I, I hope that I hope that Eddie Goldman misses out on history, uh, but not because not because um, you know I applaud what he's doing because of his situation, but there was a, a two guys by the name of, of Todd Bell and Al Harris. Uh, that uh, decided that they weren't going to. They were. They had. They held out, and they they missed what was the greatest year in the history of the Bears franchise. Uh, you know, since you know George Halas has you know passed away. So interesting, interesting topic. Uh, there's one last thing I want to hit on, Eric, and and uh, I don't know if if you wrote this article or not, but but uh, recently. Uh, Ryan Pace was was very uh, honest about his being under the gun, uh, and uh, he basically said, I, "I should be under the gun every year. I'm I'm here to put a winning team on the field." So it was very candid remarks from a guy who who some people want to see gone. Other people applaud him for what he's done. And let's face it, he took over a roster that was old and was not, they had zero depth whatsoever and turned it into a Super Bowl contending unit that, uh, you know, could be and should be solid for many years to come. He just got to get some first round draft picks, right? What do you think? Well, the one thing you always forget about pace was, he was the youngest GM by a pretty wide margin when he took the bears over. So, 
as smart as he was, and there's no question he was intelligent and he had a plan and all that stuff, but when you're that young, you tend to be prone to mistakes. You tend to, you know, overthink things and stuff like that that you don't get from, that you tend to get from hard-won experience. So, unfortunately, Pace has done some really great work. I mean, he built a, a tremendous defense. He found some pretty good players on offense, but right now, He's defined by, you know, what everybody knows. He took Trubisky instead of Mahomes or Watson, and that's always going to stick with him until he starts to put a consistent winner on the team, you know, on the field. And right now he's only had one winning season in five years. And, you know, you can't get away from that unless he puts together a winning season this year. And he understands that. He's not stupid, and he's also, you know, not naive. He understands that if you don't win, you're gone. That's the way it is in this business. So it's nice to see him at least be, be candid about that and understand that he's doing everything in his power to make sure that, that he puts a winner on the field. Here's what I think about Pace and people. I mean, I've joined in on the, the draft pick bashing and things like that here and there. But organizationally, I think he's nearly impeccable. I think you you could tell from top to the bottom that he has the right people in the right places. You know, whether it's Champ Kelly or, you know, um, just the different people that he hires at the different levels of the organization. I think he's, he's very on point. He's very meticulous. Um, I think he's very systematic. There are quality human beings throughout the entire Bears organization, and I think that's important. When you look at what's going on in Washington, the Bears organization is one that you can be proud of to root for, um, you know, and you can be proud to put your kids in their jersey. And not that that wasn't the case before Pace got here, but Pace has, I think, continued that and he has built on it. And that is why I, I think in short of them there being some sort of three and 13 embarrassing disaster. I don't think he's anywhere in the ballpark of getting fired by the McCaskies and Ted Phillips. I think they really like what he's done. He's modernized this organization. He has made this sparkling Hallis hall. I mean, you know, you know, this Mike, and, and I'm sure most bears fans to some degree know this, but it wasn't like Hallis hall was like some, some palace, you know, uh, years ago. Uh, you know, so so to see where it is now, to see an organization that free agents want to come to, you know, he brought in Mac, which made the Bears a ton of money. They went back to the playoffs. Like, I think they see Pace as a long-term project, and they see him as a young, rising star in the league. And I don't think they're in any hurry to get rid of him. I just really don't. You know, it would have to be some kind of catastrophe. Fee. And in the COVID year, I think he's got a built-in excuse. I, I hate to say excuse, but I agree with you that, that Pace is here for the long term. I don't think that uh, there's any question about that unless this team absolutely falls apart at the seams and does do a 3-13 and 13 this year. Uh, he took a ragtag team that had zero leadership in the locker room, was one of the oldest, had zero in, in terms of quarterbacking. How many quarterbacks did they, did they use in, in 14 and 15? Eric, it was, it was terrible. 
uh, you know, oh. Barkley and, and, and Hoyer and, and all the other guys that, uh, that they, they, they had. Um, and the, the, the Tressman years, you know, he was supposed to be the offensive guru. Uh, and, you know, his first year was pretty decent, but they had absolutely nothing on defense. What didn't they allow like over 40 some odd points in two of their last four games? His first so they had, year they had the second, they had the second ranked offense in the league and the 30th ranked defense. You know, <laughs> you know, we just about had the reverse of that last year because of our offensive line play was so putrid. So, uh, you know, defense wins championships, offense finishes it off. And, and that's, you know, I think, Aaron, when you were talking about it earlier, you said, you know, all we need is a 15th ranked offense and, and we're going to be Super Bowl contenders. And you're absolutely right. You know, the, the, only, the only thing that we haven't talked about, which, you know, bit us in the ass last year was health. You know, we, we lost Akeem Hicks. We lost Roquan. We lost Trevathan. We lost, I, 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 we lost Kevin Long. We, Kyle Long. We, we lost so many players on, to, to injuries. And we, you know, to this day, I still think that Mac was playing hurt, although nobody's ever come up and said that. But it is what it is. And, you know, injuries seem to be cyclical. You'll have a bad spat of, of injuries one year and stay remarkably healthy or relatively healthy the next. In 18, the Bears were pretty damn healthy, except for, you know, they lost Eddie Jackson right towards the end of the year. And then they lost uh, Bryce Callahan. If Bryce Callahan's playing, I don't think that Foles, it takes that game-winning drive in the fourth because they were picking on this, the slot. I think it was McMahon, uh, Sherrick McManus uh, was, was the uh, guy that they picked on that entire drive. So it is what it is, guys. And it's going to be fun. You know, when we get back on the air next week, we're going to be just 11 days away from, from the season. And I'm sure that we're going to see some, some things happening with the roster before then, uh, you know, Allen Robinson, they've been holding out because of an ankle. Um, it, uh, Gibson was held out from a lower back. So there's been some nicks and bruises so far in camp, but we, we hope that everybody's going to be back and healthy uh, with the po one possible exception of, uh, of Montgomery. And, and if his, if his groin turns out to be not as serious as it looked, we're, we're going to have dodged a huge bullet. And uh, I'm excited about the year. We can, I can't wait. I was going to mention the, real quick that, that Mac came almost close to admitting he was dealing with something. He didn't, he didn't want to make any excuses, uh, but when he did his famous Peloton uh, interview, he got close uh, to kind of, you know, saying that, you know, he was dealing with stuff and everybody deals with stuff and he gave his 100% for his guys and blah, blah, blah. But that's about as close as you probably will ever get Khalil Mack to admitting that he was playing hurt. 
because this guy is so prideful and so intense. So, I mean, I just was very excited to hear how excited he is and how how driven this guy is and how excited he is to pl- be playing opposite Quinn. Um, and you know, I think I think that's that's what we have to hang our hats on, and that's all right. We're used to that. Like, that's an that's a old, comfortable pair of slippers. It's just, you know, knowing that, well, we got a defense, and we'll see what else happens. Eric? Guys, you know, I'm of the belief that as long as we have a good defense, we're going to, you know, be in the mix. And you always want to be in the mix. So the way I see, you know, I saw a funny, you know, little quote recently i think it was actually today earlier this morning it's like basically the difference between six and ten and ten and six is five plays and whether or not they go your way and i thought about it and i'm like god that just makes so much sense you know last year the plays just didn't go our way you know in a lot of those close games they always seem to go against us whereas in 2018 in a lot of those close games a lot of the big plays went our way. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Health is a big thing. Execution is a big thing. It's all that. But you also need a little bit of luck to go your way, especially, you know, in a league like this where parity is such a big thing. So, you know, I think this this team is more than talented enough to make a deep playoff run. I, I think they have, you know, top-tier talent at a lot of positions. I think they have good depth at a lot of positions. So I think they're ready. You know, you, you want you want them to avoid injuries as much as possible, obviously, and it's good to see that Montgomery at least avoided the big injuries. And you just hope that the Bears can get to Detroit without any any other huge setbacks. That's all I'm praying for at this point. Figure out the quarterback position and stay as healthy as possible. You made a great point, Eric. In fact, we talked about it on several episodes um, recently. The Bears were literally two plays away from being 10 and six instead of eight and eight last year. That's the running into the kicker penalty in London against Oakland and the missed field goal again at home against San Diego. That's how, no matter how poorly this offense played last year, they were two, literally two plays away from being in the postseason last year. So let's say we, we have those two plays on our side this year. Um, I, just, I just can't see the Bears repeating a 500 or sub-500 season based on the talent they have on defense and based on the tools they now have on offense. But let's face it, they didn't have the tools in the middle of the field in last year where they have them this year. And I'm speaking, of obviously, of the tight end. So uh, I am on record saying that the bears are going to finish this season in the playoffs and finish first in the division with an 11 and five record. I don't see any, any reason why they can't be 11 and five. Uh, They have a tough stretch in the middle of the schedule. They need to start fast. You know, who do they play? They play, they play the Falcons, the giants, the, the uh, Detroit uh, lions, and I forget who the fourth team is before they play week five against um, Tampa on Thursday night. So there's no reason to think that the Bears can't be 4-0 heading into that game against the, the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bays at home 
on a Thursday night. And if they do that, this, there, there's a 12th man that's always on the field when teams are playing 11 and 5, uh, 12 and 4, 13 and 3, and that man is confidence. And when you're playing with confidence, you get those breaks that you don't get when you're not playing with confidence. I mean, I'm with you. You know, early on after the draft, you know, somebody asked me what my prediction was for the season, and I said 11 and 5. And people kept asking me ever since then, and I've really been given no reason to come off of that. But now I'm feeling even more confident as I see things develop in training camp. I think the offense has more pieces in place than last year. The defense, by all accounts, is still really, really good. And, you know, if they stay healthy and, you know, it's really hard to be as bad as they were on offense for a second straight season like that. I think just by, you know, by the law of averages, they're going to be better on offense this year. And if the defense remains what they are, which is a top 10, top five defense, they're going to win a lot of football games. You know, I absolutely think 11 and five is possible. And I'm and I'm sticking by that record. Aaron. Yeah, I'm still at 10 and six. I just I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm at ten and six. I mean, Chase Daniel said, you know, at the end of the year they talked it over and there were like maybe ten to twenty plays that define their whole season. I get that, and I also get that you make your own luck. Um, you know, I, I just I'm just hoping that that uh, we figure something out. What I'm hoping is that that the the new voices in the room the the Castillo, Laser, Nagy are, you know, and Barone, the tight end coach, can't can't discount him, are really having the influence that they have. And this team, you know, has grown closer together like we've seen and hoped that they're doing during these times. And and that, that counts for something. And then the fact that, you know, we had an amazing year turnover-wise in 18. We had a bad year turnover-wise in 19 in terms of capitalizing on them. And that's a cyclical as well and so that should come back I believe the pass rush comes back the turnovers come back defense scores and the offense returns to some sort of respectability and you know let's let's you know I'll take our dog in that fight any day with this defense great way to end the show uh, Eric Lambert sportsmockery.com it's always a pleasure to have you on board I'm sure we'll have you on, on uh, the show a couple of times during the regular season. Um, my producer and co-host, Aaron Torricelli. I'm Mike Halitech. You're listening to the Halitech Hall Show. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.